This morning we're in 1 Kings chapter 17, 1 Kings chapter 17. If you're using one of the chair Bibles, I think it's like page 299. Uh, so, uh, or you can pull it up on your phone or your iPad or whatever. And we're doing a series on Elijah called uh, Faith That Works. Faith That Works. And let me give you a definition of faith that we're kind of working with in this, in this series. We define faith like this. Faith is believing the word of God and acting on it no matter how we feel because God promises a good result. Okay, faith is believing the word of God and acting on it no matter how we feel because God promises a good result. And last week we kind of looked at the object of faith, that it's not about having great faith in God, it's about having faith in a great God. And in the greatness of God, how critical that is, that we just are gripped by the greatness of God. And we saw that Elijah was gripped, his heart was really gripped, that God was greater than he imagined. And it, it, it created in him the ability to be courageous because he had faith in the great God. This week we're talking about faith that works, and a faith that works is a faith that is forged and proven in the fires of adversity. In other words, the way God has, has made us and the way God gives us the gift of faith and really develops our belief in him and his word is forged in the fires of adversity. We, we cannot have faith in the greatness of God unless we are believing in him when times are lean. I think that song just, I mean, that was a beautiful song. Our broken roads prepare us for God's will in our life. And, and if you're like me, I kind of like that idea and I kind of don't. You know what I mean? Like, I'm like, ooh, oh, like, like in other words, there's no one that God loves there is no one that God has placed his grace on. There is no one that God is developing whom he is not call and calling to go through times of difficulty. This is so important. You know, in our culture, I think we, we kind of imagine a God who wants us never to have problems. We imagine a God and, and a spirituality where everything's always working out for us. And isn't it interesting that time and time again, when we come to Scripture, we learn that in fact, God often calls us to go through difficult times. One of my favorite verses, and yet one of my least favorite verses, is James chapter 1. I find the book of James a great commentary, actually, on the, on the life of Elijah. But James chapter 1, verses 2 and following says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That means that God's way to bring us completeness is through the difficulty of various trials, that might be small trials, big trials, everything in between. It might be the worst season of your life. It might be just an annoying season in your life. I got pulled over the other day by a policeman on my way to pickleball. That was a test of my faith, right? But some of you are going through really difficult times. I realize that. Either way, we are called to approach our difficulties and our trials by faith, by faith. 
Sometimes when I'm going through a difficult season, I kind of have two false responses. The first response I have is to fight my problems on my own and in my own strength. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? You know, like, I'm, I'm going to take care of this. I'm going to lean on my wits. I'm going to lean on my strength. And I start fighting back against, against things that are way bigger than me. I fight in my flesh. I, fly, I fight in my own strength. And what inevitably happens when I do that is I increasingly get angry or frustrated or depressed because it's like hitting a wall. How many of y'all are hitting a wall in your own strength? Another false way I approach difficulties in my life is I often approach difficulties in my life by trying to ignore it's happening. I distract myself. I try to pretend like it's not there. You know what I mean? I'm just going to act like it's not there. I'm going I'm to bury my head in the sand. I'm going to distract myself. There's a great book written by Neil Postman. He says that our culture is amusing itself to death. We're trying to forget we got problems. We're using technology. We're using all these gadgets to try to just forget that I've got trials. I'm just going to not think about it. I'm going to watch Netflix all day. Can I get a hallelujah, you know? Like we're, we're amusing ourselves to death, and we're not dealing with our life. This sermon is about you and I saying we believe in God, and we believe nothing's on accident, and we will stand by faith and let God have his way with us, in the trials, in the storms of our life. Because a faith that works is a faith that is forged in the fires of adversity. How can we do that? How can we not run? How can we not distract ourselves? How can we not, how can we not bury our head in the sand? How can we not fight in our own strength but fight with the resources God gives to us? We're going to go to Elijah and find out. Can I get an amen? First Kings 17 tells us about this issue of faith being developed by adversity. Now, when we think about Elijah, we think of a heroic man. We think of a man who is, who is this great and mighty man of God. He's courageous. He's mighty. If you, were, if you grew up in the church and you had Sunday school classes, you remember his most famous, in fact, the climax of his whole life. Uh, we call it a mountaintop experience. The greatest moment in his life happened on Mount Carmel. And on this mountaintop, he called all the prophets of Baal together, and he called all the people of Israel together, and he called all this nation together, and he confronted all the false and bad prophets and bad teachers, and he confronted a nation filled with idolatry that had exchanged the glory of God for the idolatry of the times and for the beliefs of their times. And Elijah stood before them and said, today you have to make a decision whether you're going to believe in God or not, because you can't have it both ways. Can I get an Amen. You can't have it both ways. You can't believe in culture and believe in Christ. You can't believe in the, in, the, in the values of our times and also believe in the values of Scripture. And he confronted them. And he created an altar and he put a sacrifice on it and he wetted it with water. And there was water in the trenches. And we remember he called on God and he said, God, prove to these people that you are the only true God. That you are the only one. Show them today who the real God is. And of course, fire came down from heaven. Everybody say fire. 
fire came down and burnt up that altar and burnt up that sacrifice even though it was wetted by water. And we look at Elijah and we go, man, that was awesome. Capital A, awesome. Slam dunk Elijah. What a man of God. I want to be like Elijah, don't you? We forget, though, that before that event in 1 Kings chapter 18, there was 1 Kings 17. And without 1 Kings 17, 1 Kings 18 would have never happened. Because while 1 Kings 18 was the mountaintop experience of Elijah, 1 Kings 17 is the wilderness experience of Elijah. 1 Kings 17 is when Elijah had no public ministry, when Elijah had no great moment that everybody could see and say he was heroic. In fact, 1 Kings 17 is three years of very little. Everybody say little. The point is, is that we have to go through our wilderness before we can get to our mountaintop. Can I get an amen? We have to go through our trials before we can reach our triumphs. And 1 Kings 17, you can look at 1 Kings 17 as like the boot camp of Elijah. You know what I mean? It's like a boot camp. It's the boot camp before the battle. It's the trial before the triumph. And in 1 Kings 17, there are three events that happen in Elijah's life that happen over the course of three years that prepare him. And you can think of them as three obstacles at his boot camp. You know what I mean? Like, like the first obstacle is kind of like grabbing on the rope and kind of swinging over the mud. And then the second obstacle is kind of like climbing up over the wall and getting yourself over. And then the third obstacle is like holding your breath underwater for like 10 minutes. You know what I mean? Like a Navy SEAL. But what happens is, is that with increasing intensity and adversity, Elijah has to face one trial after another, and they don't get easier. They get harder as they go. And sometimes you and I have to go through a boot camp to be shaped in our faith to do God's purpose that he has for us. So let's look at the first obstacle, 1 Kings 17. And starting in verse 1, and let's see how Elijah responds, because how he responds is how you and I are called to respond in our trials of various kinds. Look at 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. It says, Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And the word of the Lord came to him and said, Depart from here and, run, and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Kareth, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook that I have commanded the ravens, and, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook Kareth, that is east of the Jordan, and the ravens brought him bread and meat. In the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook, and after a while the brook dried up, because there was no rain in the land. Now, at first, we think this is not a big deal. In fact, it's kind of cool, because like God's like, okay, I need you to go to this place called Kareth, and you're going to live by this brook, and there's a famine, and there's a drought, and you can imagine there's parched land, and the land is cracked, and everybody's hungry, and it's really bad, and you and I have no idea what this must have been like with everything, kind of all the animals starving, and people starving, and drought, and there's no rain, and there's no dew, and nothing's happening. 
And God, and God leads Elijah by this brook. And God feeds Elijah miraculously from a raven. Like a raven is bringing him steak in the morning and steak at night. I'm thinking, well, that's not a trial of faith. That's just pretty cool. You know what I mean? Like, like a raven. Like, Caw! I mean, what, how does a raven make a noise? Caw! You know, and the, the food comes down. You know what I'm saying? Although I don't think it could call out with the food in its mouth. But anyways... But here's the thing. This is a trial. I'll tell you why this is a trial. Because God is doing what does not make any sense to Elijah at this time. Has God ever done something in your life that makes absolutely no sense? Elijah is fitted to confront Ahab and the people. Elijah is fitted to confront Israel in the land of promise. Elijah only knows, I know for certain I was born for one purpose and one purpose only. That is to call all the people together, all the false prophets together, to get together here in the land of promise and to say, you people need to repent and believe in the Lord. And God does the very opposite thing of what Elijah expects. In fact, God leads him not into the promised land, but out of the promised land. He leads him east of the Jordan. And I can promise you, that for a prophet who is an Israelite to leave the land of promise at a time like this makes absolutely no sense. Not only that, but Israelites, the Hebrews, believed that ravens were unclean animals. And here's God providing for Elijah from an unclean animal across the border. Elijah is all by himself, by this little itty-bitty brook, And you know what he's called to do? He's called to believe that God can work anywhere at any time. That God has a purpose and his job is to humble himself and just simply to respond to God's word even when God's word doesn't make any sense. In those days, people believed that the gods only worked within their regions and that the God of Israel would only work within the borders of Israel. That the God of Israel would only work in the region of Israel. And then, of course, there were other regional gods. And this was always a temptation for the Israelites. And what Elijah is learning, he probably already believed, but he had never experienced this. God can work anywhere at any time. He can cross any borders. There's no limit to where God can work. And there's no limit to how God can provide. And you know what? You and I have to believe That God can work in anything at any time. And we should humble ourselves under this idea that there is no borders, that, that there is no limits to how God can provide. And we should lift up our eyes and say, God, however you provide, whatever you provide for me to get through today, I will accept and I will be faithful to your word, even if it means living in the day of small things. But Elijah passes it. This first obstacle is like... Not that big a deal. He kind of, he grabs the rope and swings over the mud, and it's, it's just not that big a deal. But then the next test and the next obstacle is even more intense. Look at it in verse 8. It says there in verse 8, Then the word of the Lord came to him, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. 
So he rose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to, uh, and as, as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, as the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jug and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Wow, it's really bad. And Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterward, make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel... The jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And as she went and did as Elijah said, and she and he and her household ate for many days, the jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah." This theme of God working without borders continues deeper as God leads Elijah into a place called Zarephath. And what's interesting about this geographical designation is that this is the hometown and this is the area from which Jezebel comes from. And not only that, but all of the false idolatry that Israel is believing in originates from this very region. This is like the enemy territory. If there was a seminary for false prophets and false teaching, I promise you it was right here. As Rome is to the Vatican, so Zarephath and Sidon was to Baalism and all of the false idolatry that Israel was so attracted to. And God is calling Elijah to go into this enemy enemy territory filled with famine and not only that but to humble himself everybody say humble to humble himself to be fed and provided for by a widow who is a Gentile pagan believing widow that God would provide for this great man of God from this widow who has no hope who's on her deathbed The husband is clearly dead. She has a son. Scholars refer to him biblically as an orphan because the dad is dead. So you've got this mother, this widow, and you've got this orphan. And Elijah has to depend upon them to get through his day. And that's a test of faith. To go into enemy territory, to depend upon this widow... And then God says, I will make sure that that little jar of flour and that jug of oil will last all three years. Elijah's Elijah's faith is being tested on. Can God give me enough to get through this wilderness experience? And when when you're humble, when you go low before God, when you believe God when there's little when you keep being faithful, when you don't despise God in the day of small things, can I get an amen? It's so easy to praise God and to lift up our hands when we feel like it. When everything's going great, hallelujah, Lord. But man, can we raise our hands in the day that is not impressive, the day of small things, the day when the business isn't going well. 
Can we continue to be faithful to God's word when our marriage is struggling, when our health isn't there, when, when everything is falling apart? Can we humble ourselves to other people and say, I need you. You are God's provision for me. I need help. And reaching out to people we would never otherwise reach out to to get help, to get through our season. Do you see this? This great man of God, he's going to call down fire from heaven. He has to go up to this widow. And not only does he have to say to her, I need your food, but God's telling me to tell you to feed me before your hungry son. Isn't that incredible? We always had a saying, you know, little is much when God is in it. But I usually don't experience that if I'm walking in pride. You know, we live in a, we live in a culture of entitlement, don't we? We walk around and we, we have this kind of spirit of entitlement. I know all about this. And to humble myself and to say, you know what? I'm going to take the little that God's given me and I'm going to believe that God can provide what did Jesus do? You remember his disciples and there's that crowd that was hungry and he took five loaves and two fish and he, he fed 5,000 people. And Jesus was teaching his disciples a lesson. You don't need more. You just need God. You just need to keep believing in God and keep responding to God's word. That's a wonderful thing. And so Elijah passes this test because he says, thus says the Lord, this jar of flour shall not be spent. This jug of oil, this little itty bitty is going to last the whole famine. For three years, these three people fed miraculously off this jug of flour and this jar of oil and everything else. And so there they are, jar of flour, uh, jug of oil, and they make it all three years living on this because they're just believing the word of God no matter how they feel because God promises a good result. Let's look at the last obstacle, and it's the most difficult. We go from uh, swinging over the mud, climbing over the wall, and now we got to hold our breath underwater for 10 minutes, right? We're like Navy SEALs here in this last one. Look at this, verse 17. After this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill. And his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. And she said to Elijah, what have you against me, O man of God? You've come to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. Now, understandably, she's distraught, right? Now, she's kind of forgotten that if Elijah wouldn't have come in the first place, then that, you know, that jar of oil and that jug of flour, that jug of oil and that jar of flour, whatever, that wouldn't have ever happened. And so because Elijah came, they had fed and, and they had drank those three years. But of course, she's going through this traumatic experience of death. And death can do some funny things to us and especially our faith. She was growing in her own faith. She was believing he was the man of God. She was beginning to respond to the word of Yahweh as a Gentile woman who's living in this pagan land. She's beginning to grow in her faith. But when her son dies, that tests her faith severely, severely. Verse 19, so what's Elijah going to do? He's going to say, well, it's all over. I guess we'll just walk away. I guess this didn't work out. That's not what he does. Verse 19, he said to her, give me your son. Love that. 
And he took him from her arms and carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged and laid him on his own bed. And he cried to the Lord, O Lord, my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I have sojourned by killing her son? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord, my God, let this child's life come back into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah, and the life of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord or that the, uh, that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. This is a remarkable story. Because for the first time, Elijah is not only doing what God tells him to do. God said, go to Kareth, because you can't be ready for Carmel without Kareth. God says, go to Zarephath. He goes to Zarephath. God says, that oil and that, and that, and that flour is going to last three years. So he believed the word of God. But now Elijah's imagination has been captured by the word of God and he begins to believe God and he says God I am now praying on behalf of this orphan for the sake of this widow that you would bring him back to life because I believe that even the region of death cannot keep you at work that there's no borders from which you can work. You can work in Kareth, you can work in Israel, you can work in Zarephath, you can work in Sidon, you can work anywhere. And even in death, God can cross over and reverse the effects of death and bring about, here it is, resurrection. <clears throat> the widow, as a result of this resurrection, says, now I know that you are a man of God. And that what's in your mouth is the word of God. And I promise you that Elijah, in a new and more effective way, he too believes that God has given him a word that will change the outcome of everything. I find in this final story, this ultimate story of facing death, the beauty and the pattern of the gospel. Elijah gives us a picture of the gospel that is so, so powerful. And can I tell you, if you are facing a trial and adversity, the first thing that you need to do is walk in the pattern of the gospel. And what is the pattern of the gospel, beloved? That Jesus came. He was the only son. That Jesus died and he was buried and he defeated death. That on the third day he rose again. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, even though he dies, he will live forever. Jesus crossed over into the ultimate realm of death and he defeated death on our behalf. Can I get an amen? Isn't that good news? And we could look at death and say, you have no victory over me. Because death has been swallowed up in the only Son of God. The Son of God who came to deliver us from death and the region of death and the reign of death and the fear of death. We have overcome in the name of Jesus Christ who is risen again. And there's a pattern here. And the gospel pattern is this. The cross always comes before the crown. That's the test of our faith. The cross always comes before the crown. The pits always come before the palace. The wine always comes after the water. 
You get it? Now, the world's going to come to us and say, you shouldn't have to drink water. Just drink your wine now. You shouldn't have to go through the pits. Just take your palace now. The world gives us the pattern that everything needs to be front-loaded on all the good stuff. And God says, I'm going to equip you to be a follower of Jesus. And the way I'm going to do that is I'm going to take you through the cross. I'm going to take you through the pits. I'm going to take you through the wilderness. And then you'll be ready to go to the mountaintop without being arrogant or prideful, but humble and giving glory to to God, and that's why God sovereignly designs you and I to go through problems. We are, God sovereignly designs bad times and problems for us so that we can walk in gospel purposes. And do you see, do you see what the gospel is? The gospel's two things. What's the good news of God to you and I? Everybody here should hear what God's good news is for you. And that's why we exist as a church, to tell you the good news. And what is the good news as it is here in in Elijah? It's this, that God has compassion for us sinners. Can I get an amen? amen? He's compassionate. You know who we are? We're that widow. Pagan coming from the wrong region of belief and life and lifestyle, guilty. Have you come to bring my guilt upon me, O man of God? That's just, we're guilty. We're sinful. We live in the center of paganism right now today. We come from a pagan place. We come from a culture with so many gods competing for the allegiance of the one supreme God. And there's not anybody here who's not bought into the lies of our culture in one way or the other. We have followed these idols. We have believed in the lie. We have walked into darkness. We've been more impressed with our world than we have been with the kingdom of God almost every day of our life. Isn't that true? I'm a broken man. I'm a broken man. I'm that widow. And Elijah's like Jesus. He came and he pleads on my behalf. And he says about me, he says, he says, Lord, show Joshua that pagan American. Show him that it's the kingdom of God. Show him that you are God above all the false gods he's believed in. And he laid his life with arms outstretched over my sin. He covered me in his righteousness on the cross. And he died in my place. That's the gospel. It's compassion. It's love for the least lovely. It it, it is giving the reward of the kingdom to those who are least deserving. And the only ones who don't receive that gospel are those who are too prideful to receive what only God can give to them. But if you humble yourself with empty hands, if you surrender your life to Jesus, he will cover you in his righteousness like Elijah stretched out over that orphan boy and covered him in the prayer of salvation and said, Lord, come on, give him grace, give him compassion. You see, the gospel is compassion. And that's what you and I need. You need the compassion of God. We're trying to work so hard. That's why we go through adversity. So God can somehow get through our heads that we can't do this on our own. God gives you things every single day of your life that you cannot handle. That you cannot handle without him. So that you'll remember that the secret to faith is receiving what only God can give to you. 
It's good when you're going through adversity to say, I cannot do this. And the gospel reminds us that God is compassionate. He'll get you through this day. Can I get an amen? Isn't this good? This is good. I love it. I'm blessing my own soul by preaching the word today, right? You see, the gospel is compassion. But here's the second thing the gospel is. The gospel is power. Because God don't, he doesn't just say, I love you and I'll cover your sin and I'll cover your guilt. God in the gospel of Jesus Christ gives us the spirit so that we can have freedom, so that we can get up from our death. If the orphan rep, or if the widow represents us before Jesus, the orphan represents us after Jesus. We get up and we're alive again. We have new life in Jesus Christ. We have the mind of Christ so that we can carry our cross. And when we suffer, we say, that's okay that I'm suffering because my Lord suffered. That's okay that I'm bearing this cross in my life because Jesus bore suffering. And if I get to suffer like Jesus and lose my life like Jesus, that only tells me that I will find my life anew because there's power in suffering. There's power in resurrection and there's power in new life in Christ. It means something, beloved, when the Bible says that we are new creations in Christ Jesus. If anyone is in Christ, the old has passed away, the new has come. It means something. It's power, real power. When Jesus said you must be born again and we are born again into the living hope of the Holy Spirit, that is power. Everybody say power. The gospel is power. It's power to walk and follow Jesus. It's empowerment from the Holy Spirit. It's the word of God, not just being intellectual thoughts. It's not just the word of God making us scholars. It's the word of God making us followers of Jesus. We don't just come to church to become a scholar or to become a student. We come to church to receive power to follow Jesus in a fallen world. To go out into that cracked, starved land. To go out in that, in that place where the spiritual world is cracked up. And we follow Jesus into the Zarephath and the Charis and the wilderness. It's power. You see, Elijah's learning something. In his boot camp, he's learning that, that, that there's power in believing in God. Real power. And that God is compassionate to forgive a nation that's been filled with idolatry, a nation that doesn't deserve to be forgiven. And God is powerful enough to turn hearts back to him so that they'll leave their idolatry and they'll come back to God. You see, because of these experiences, Elijah is ready to go up on the mountaintop. You know, what's the purpose? What's the meaning? Why do we go through trials? Because our problems prepare us for our purpose. Our problems prepare us for our faith. Our trials of life prepare us to triumph by faith. And that is hard to hear sometimes. I know, that's hard to hear. But Elijah went through it. Watch this. Abraham went through that. Paul, before he planted all those churches, he's off like out in the desert somewhere, you know, for like 14 years before he planted all those churches and wrote the New Testament. 
Jesus himself, the perfect son of God in the flesh, he had to go through 40 days and 40 nights of temptation out in the wilderness when Satan came and said, turn that stone into bread. And he had every right to turn that stone into bread. But he said, Satan, it's not God's will for me to eat today. I will take the stone and the will of God way above warm bread and separation from God. Jesus showed us that it's through the wilderness and believing the word of God because man cannot live on bread alone but from every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That's the most important thing. That's the most important thing. And when you're going through adversity, let the preacher help you. Let me give you some fuel. Keep being faithful in the midst of your trial. Don't fight it in your own strength. Don't run and act like it's not happening. Face your trial by faith because God's got big things for you to do for your kids, for your friends, for your networks to represent him in a new way. You see, our problems prepare us for our purpose. Our trials prepare us for our triumphs. What C.S. Lewis say? You know, C.S. Lewis said, you know, God, God speaks to us in our pleasure no, God, no, I got it, I got that wrong. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscience, but he shouts to us in our pain. It is his megaphone to arouse a deaf world. And Winston Churchill said even more profoundly, perhaps, a kite can't fly unless it's going against the wind. Can I get an Amen. And our faith begins to fly. When we, when we don't try to act like that wind's not there, we just face that wind. Whew, adversity, hot air, humidity. We, we face that, that time of drought and famine. And when we would just take one step at a time, just one little step at a time towards that wind of adversity, our faith begins to fly ever higher into the greatness of God. And you'll start seeing crazy things happening. God providing. You know, our Lord provides it's as if ravens start dropping exactly what you need out of the air. I've experienced that. I've experienced that raven thing. I mean, not a literal raven. Can I get an amen? You're like, wow, he really is godly. But, you know, I've been, Sherry and I have been provided for. It feels like a raven dropped exactly what we needed into our hands for that day. Have you ever had that happen? We're, we're just like, man, we are not going to make it through the month, but we're going to believe in God. We are not going to make it, but we will not fear. And you know what happens? It's like, poof, steak dinner, hallelujah, right? You just start, you start walking, just walk against that wind of adversity. Just keep believing God, man, that wind is coming. You just take one step at a time. Because your problems are preparing you for a purpose you could not have made up that only God has designed for you. How can we walk in light of this principle? What is it that Elijah really shows us? I mean, can we, can we, simple, can we simplify the application? How do I walk by faith so that my faith is being forged by adversity? How do I do that? And it's real simple. And somebody, Andy Stanley, Andy Stanley, who's the son of Charles Stanley, he preached a sermon one time. And he said, and his, his big idea to his sermon was this. He said this, when you don't know why, submit and apply. When you don't know why, submit and apply. 
I promise you that Elijah had no idea why God was leading him the way he was. Elijah had no idea why God would send him to Kareth or Zarephath or to a widow and an orphan. And he had no clue intellectually why it was happening. But you know what he did? He submitted to the word of God and he applied the word of God. Real simple. Do you see how many times? Let me list them. In fact, go back to your Bibles and, and look, look at how many times the word of God is brought up. It's brought up. The word of God's brought up in verse 2. 1 Kings 17, verse 2, and the word of the Lord came to him. And then look at verse 5. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. Verse 8, the word of the Lord came to him. And then in verse 14, here's what he says, for thus says the Lord. Isn't that great? You go down to... Uh, verse 16, the jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke to Elijah. Verse 24, maybe the climax in the, in the very meaning of the whole chapter, the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. You say, how do, how do I walk in adversity? So that my faith is forged. You know how you do it when you don't know why? Submit and apply. What is faith? Faith is believing the word of God and acting on it no matter how you feel because God promises a good result. Look at Hebrews chapter 11 this week. I challenge you, read Hebrews chapter 11. I don't have enough time to go into it today. Read Hebrews chapter 11. Faith is the conviction of things hoped for, the assurance of things not seen. By faith, Abel offered a sacrifice greater than, than Cain. By faith, Noah built an ark. By faith, Abraham went to a land that he didn't even know where it was. By faith, Moses led Israel out when it didn't make any sense. Why? Because he believed the word of God, and I promise you, Noah wasn't anxious to be known as a carpenter. He had no idea why he was building this ark. He just knew God said, build an ark. And he said, okay. Everybody made fun of him. But he said, I'm going to believe the word of God. No matter how I feel, I don't have time to do this. It's really hard to build a big old ark that every animal in the world can fit in. Can I get an amen? It's not like Noah was all excited. Oh, boy. What a great project. It's not like Abraham wasn't a successful businessman in his city. He was an urban dweller. He was a man who was making plenty of money. He had a nice condo. He had a nice little chariot. He had a camel. You know, he's rocking it, man. And God comes and says, I'm going to send you to a land. And Abraham said, where? Because I'm a good planner. I'm an urban guy. I'm a businessman. Where am I going? And God says, I will, I'll tell you, I'm going to put you on a need-to-know basis. And you know what Abraham did? I'll believe the word of God. I'll act on it, no matter how I feel. And beloved, that can be, that's when we have to ask God for grace. Because if you're like me, when I start going through difficulty, it's hard for me to go, okay, this is problems in my life. This is problems. There's a part of me that doesn't believe I deserve these problems. You ever been there? I don't know if I deserve this. I'm a pastor. I thought that was good. Anyway, did you not like, you didn't like that. I'm a man of God. I faithfully exegete scripture. I'm a man filled with the spirit. I don't know if I deserve these problems in my life. 
And God says, humble yourself. What's the word telling you to do today? What's he telling me to do with my marriage? I'm still called to love Sherry, baby, as Christ loved the church, even on days when I'm going through problems. I'm still called to be faithful steward of my money, even on days when I'm going through problems. I'm still called to go and work hard at my job that God has given to me, even when I got problems. I'm still called to love others and consider their interests before mine, even when I'm going through problems. I'm still called to go and connect to my church and encourage others in Christ, even when I'm going through my problems. I am called to believe this word of God, and when I don't know why, and God has put me on a need-to-know basis, and he hasn't given me the clues to why I have to go through these problems, I do know what he's saying. He's saying, I'm calling you to submit and apply the word. It means you've got to pick it up and read and pray over it and learn it and keep hearing sermons and becoming a student that's ready to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Can I tell you, you are loved in Jesus. You're accepted. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you are accepted by God. He's given you his Holy Spirit. Your problems are not saying anything about his love for you. Nothing, not one thing. In fact, your problems and your adversity might be a very sign that he loves you more than those who never have problems in their life. The Bible talks about how the wicked sometimes, you can look at the wicked and go, do they ever have problems? I mean, it just seems like they just get everything that they want. God loves us. And so in that love that originates in Christ, and when we don't know why, we can submit and apply. Amen. Somebody once said, your testings can become your testimony, right? And you have a ministry of influence. You know, it wasn't just about Elijah. It was about people being set free. It was about fire coming down. It was about a nation being turned back to Yahweh. It was, about, it was about the people of God coming back to a pure worship that was not broken in its allegiance. Ultimately, Elijah's life was to influence other people's lives. And if you and I can walk in our adversities, if we can believe God in our afflictions, I promise you that your testing will become your testimony. Your problems will become the platform by which you can be a minister to other people because you'll see that God comforts you and provides for you. You can go and tell people all your raven stories. Man, it was like a raven came out of the air and the Lord sent him and he can send you a raven too. And God sent his son for me, and God loved me and my problems, and he can love you too. You see, your affliction can become the beginning of your ministry. And so as you're going through your problems, begin to envision, who can I share this with? I know God's going to come through. And as you submit and apply, begin to dream about people that you can invite to church. Begin to dream about people that you can share the gospel with. Begin to dream about God giving you opportunities to influence other people with what God has done in your life. Like Elijah, we're called to go out there on the mountains and to say, turn back to the living God. And let me share with you my story about how he turned me back to him. Think about the influence you could have in your kid's life, your friend's life, your network's life. As they're watching you go through your problems and as you're believing God steadily and they're going to say, what is the gravity for you as you're going through this? You can say, 
My God loves me. He's compassionate and he's powerful and he's with me in Jesus Christ. And you will have a legacy. You will have significance for the glory of God. Amen. Faith that works is forged in the fires of adversity. Let us pray.